Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls. For more breakdowns on the Pelicans, including interviews with coaches, journalists, and opposing experts, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. very special episode of the bird calls today uh, i am on my phone as you can tell i left my computer in my car and my wife took it to work so we're going to be doing this a bit differently today but lucky for me i do have help on my side i've got editor-in-chief of the birdrights.com ali Costell. ali how's it going man what's up Preston? i think my world's a whole lot better than yours uh i'm a guy <laughs> guys earlier i finally we finally scored an awesome doctor for my sister so today's like a really awesome day that's awesome, man. I'm so happy for you. And once once I'm able to break in... Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. To my wife's car, things, things will uh, look up really quickly. And we're also joined by his partner in crime, Kevin Berrios. What's going on with you, Kevin? Oh, nothing much. I'm out on the street again because they're doing some uh, work in my apartment right now. So I'm also on my phone uh, hanging out uh, at the courthouse in a little cubbyhole. <laughs> Why did we bother buying all these microphones, Ali? Let's just be on our phones from now on, right? I know, man. That's right. It just shows you how easily we're adaptable, right? <laughs> we're evolving every second. Okay, guys, uh, I haven't gotten your take yet on the boogie trade. Obviously, we've or the boogie injury, I should say. Sorry, it's going well so far. Uh, <laughs> obviously, he ruptured his Achilles uh, the other night against the Houston Rockets on national television, and uh, the city of New Orleans has been devastated ever since. And we've been talking through Twitter, uh, but why don't you – start talking Ali just how it affects the city how it affects you personally as a fan but most importantly how this is going to affect DeMarcus Cousins going forward yeah I think we've all talked about ad nauseum um, I even listened to you on your beautiful podcast the other day you're absolutely right Preston this is this is like one of the worst case scenarios imaginable uh, for any franchise let alone New Orleans who has been mired in, in a lot of disappointing seasons especially since Alvin Gentry came into town 
Um, and it's very important with a player with Anthony Davis's caliber that he not continually misses uh, postseasons. And he's, as we know, he's only been to one. And this one was shaping up to be number two, but now that's all up in the air. So we don't really need to touch on that as much anymore. Like the city obviously is is torn apart. I mean, I don't know how else to put it, but things are not good. Things are bleak. The team needs help. Um, and they've only got a few, less than two weeks to try and fix the problem where Dell Demps can take advantage of maybe the trade markets um, and hopefully bring in some help. Otherwise, you know, there's a lot of teams behind the Pelicans, uh, a total of nine teams competing really for eight spots. And you got to think the Pelicans are really on the outside looking in with so many games still left on the schedule. But what I really do want to talk about is DeMarcus Cousins and how this affects him because, you know, I did some research and I wrote an article last night about where Elton Brand gave his own personal um, assessment of his own, uh, you know, Achilles injury and how it affected his career. And you know what? It's a scary thing. Uh, let me read you this part. He said uh, in a podcast to uh, Mark Spears and Amin Al-Hassan, I think it was just last month, where he stated the most frustrating part was the injuries. That Achilles really changed the trajectory of my career. That whole kinetic chain, once you get the calf, it's the ankle, the knee, the hips, the back. No one's really recovered from that Achilles injury and come back at the same level. That was really frustrating because I wanted to give Philly more. We made it to the playoffs. I did okay. I had a few serviceable seasons, but I wasn't the same guy. I still had that atrophy on my left calf, which was my power leg from the Achilles. As we both know, DeMarcus Cousins hurt his left Achilles, which we got to think is his power leg too, because he's a right-handed guy. So nothing sounds good to me because Elton Brand wasn't a leaper. He wasn't the most athletic guy. He had the same type of body type. Um, and, and, you know, his career really just went downhill from there. He wasn't able to have that same explosiveness. And what I mean by that is it's not the vertical that everybody's concerned about with players like that, but it's just that quickness of speed, change your direction, all that. It's just going to be lessened because you're not going to have that same muscle mass. It's really, really hard to build back up. And Elton Brand, who was known as a tireless worker, a, a relentless motor, he was not able to do it. So you just got to feel for Cousins. Really, the only thing you can hope you hang your hat on if you're Boogie is the fact that this happened 10 years ago, that advancements have been made uh, where players are now recovering a lot faster. There's different types of surgeries. There's better nutrition. So this is truly what you got to hope on. And, you know, we saw it with Rudy Gay over the last year where Rudy has really bounced back. He's playing well, albeit in, in a lot smaller role in San Antonio. But again, that's kind of the best case scenario I'm looking at. And that's what, you know, I think Boogie's camp's doing the same. Yeah, the good news is, Kevin, is DeMarcus Cousins has never really relied on his athleticism and his motor the way that Elton Brand has. Obviously, he uses athleticism to get from the top of the key, to get to the cup. He's got that nice spin move. Uh, he kisses it off the glass. But the guy really can't jump over a phone book. And not only that, uh, his, his upside is so much greater than that of Elton Brand. Even if you get 80% of DeMarcus Cousins, that's still a, a lower-tier, all-star-type level talent. Kevin, what do you think the possibility is that DeMarcus Cousins comes back not as an MVP caliber player like he was this season, but even uh, a lower-tiered all-star type upside? I mean, I think there's a, a decent possibility of that happening. And first off, I want to say, like, I was a huge Elton Brand fan, so I think he's a better player than you just made him out to be. Um, but I also think what Ali said is true. They both are very similar because they both didn't rely on leaping and, and athletic ability 
and we got to hope that the advances are there that have improved, um, you know, the Marcus's cousin, the Marcus cousin's ability to come back. And another thing also with brand is he did have a shoulder injury after that, that really was the one that derailed his career, um, towards the end. Um, so, I mean, I have hopes of cousins being, you know, 80% of what he is now, 85% of what he is now, but, you know, we could see, you know, a, a very big decline and, while we say he doesn't use his athleticism to, as an advantage, you know, that's not his big thing. His his quick first step is important for him right now. And if he can adjust his game, I think it could be something that he can offset if he doesn't keep trying to rely on that because he's not going to be able to beat guys off the dribble like he, he does now, at least not initially. Um, I think if he plays more down in the post and he uses his strength, where he's not driving, where he's not using a dribble move and a, and a hesitation or a crossover to try to blow past the guy, then you might see him still be very effective and still be that kind of maybe not an all-star starter, but an all-star reserve kind of player. And um, the other thing is it's just like, I mean, you accidentally slipped up and said a boogie trade. Let's not even put that in our, our mouths. I mean, let's not even do that. Um, he's a guy that we got that was unimaginable that we could get a player of that skill coming over here. And, uh, you know, it's hard to, to get a player of that caliber and we have one and we have one that's going to be not what he was, but it's still going to be a very good player. And it's keeping him here is still our best chance to win going forward with an Anthony Davis and Drew holiday lineup and our best chance to lure other people here still. Um, so, Without having him, then we go back to what we had the years before where we had an Anthony Davis and we had a Drew Holiday and we had a Tyreek Evans and we had a Ryan Anderson and we still couldn't attract talent from the outside. Um, but having Boogie here with AD and this improved Drew may be enough to get a fourth guy over. And if you if we let if we don't handle the cousin situation right then there's really no chance that we can get another guy without completely mortgaging the future. And I still don't think that it's even that possible with what we have to work with. Absolutely. And thank you, Kevin. You made some great points there, uh, correcting me in my assessments. I have to apologize. I'm at 80% myself right now without my computer. This is my first time calling in, so I'm going to do my best, but I, I do inherently believe that, uh, Boogie's potential is greater than Elton Brand's was. Elton Brand was an all-star level player, but, never really seriously uh, put up the numbers that DeMarcus Cousins put up this year, MVP-level candidate. You guys will have to correct me if I'm wrong on this, but never put up like a, a top three MVP-type season. DeMarcus Cousins on the year, over 25 points, uh, almost 14 rebounds, and something like five assists. Those numbers in, in any capacity, the four times they've been accomplished, have resulted in an MVP award. And you have to think that over the, the final course of the season, the final 34 games, had that, had that taken place, then maybe DeMarcus Cousins does make an MVP, but we've already talked about this at nauseum, as Ali said earlier. It's time to move on, or it's time to start putting our feet in front of us. And the Pelicans did that in grand fashion the first half against the Clippers on Sunday. But exactly what happened, what we were all afraid of, uh, they were short on depth. Uh, Kevin, the police have finally found you, buddy, so make sure you uh, find yourself a clever hiding spot. And, uh, and, and, and a lot of it came down to depth, Ali. A lot of it came down to relying on the three-point shot in the second half. Uh, they shot two for 19. And you could say that, that it could possibly be fatigue with Anthony Davis playing 41 minutes, causing the numbers to dip in the third quarter. Uh, we, don't, we can't exactly put our fingers on it right now. I'm going to ask you, is it depth? 
Is it is it energy or is it simply just the the balance of fate? If you come out and you shoot 57% in the first half, your numbers uh, have to equalize in the second half. What is causing the Pelicans to be so incredible offensively in the first half and so seemingly inept in the third quarter? Well, I thought in the game against the Clippers, they honestly um, shot themselves in the foot. That third quarter, they had two shots, I believe, around the rim and one other one outside of the restricted area. Everything else came outside along the perimeter, whether from three or the long twos. And I'm sorry, that's just not going to do it. You can complain about fatigue. You can complain about um, anything else for that matter, lack of depth, whatever. It, it does not excuse the fact that these guys did not execute in that third quarter at all. Um, honestly, I thought they looked a little bit lost. Anthony Davis was floating around on the perimeter on a lot of possessions where he'd catch it, and he really didn't look at, to attack like, say, DeMarcus would um, anytime he receives the ball at the top of the key or outside the arc. Um, I think this is going to be definitely a transition. I think that Anthony Davis does have the ability to do a lot of what DeMarcus was doing for this offense as to where he can – um, be an initiator, find people, because when DeMarcus has sat, AD stats jump off the page, and that includes the assist department. So we've seen AD make a lot of good passes, whether it's cross-court, you name it. So he's got that ability to be that three-pronged type of attack player from anywhere on the floor, and he simply didn't look like it against the Clippers. Again, I think it's just an adjustment thing. He was taken out of his comfort zone. And then the rest of the team just, you know, nobody really executed at a halftime. And it just shows the shot selection. They really did settle, Preston. You can't keep launching shots when they're not going in from the perimeter. Again, I don't care if you're tired. It's not an excuse because, let's face it, why are you shooting the long jumpers anyways if you're tired? You don't have the legs and you think you're going to be knocking down 24, 25-footers. I think it would make a lot smarter sense if they are fatigued. Take it to the rim. Try and pick up the foul. Uh, get some movement. Um, players when they're tired, yeah, movement's a little bit tougher, but you know what? You can still move. Obviously, you're on a basketball floor. Uh, you're not going to fall over and keel over. They weren't at that level of, of you know, uh, conditioning. So I'm, I'm blaming this one, honestly, on just a lack of execution, Preston. That, that second half more than anything. Going forward, obviously, depth has got to be improved if they want to have any kind of a chance to stay in this postseason uh, potential race. And uh, fatigue issues, Alvin Gentry has to do a better job. I do not understand for the life of me why Omar Ashik did not get in and see any minutes in the second half after doing such a wonderful job in the first half. Uh, just give, go ahead and give AD a break. It's not working, obviously. So sit him down for a few minutes. Maybe a coach can point him out a thing or two and to do something differently. So, again, there's a lot of things that could be done differently. Um, but let's hope that they make the adjustments because it was just one game. Kevin, I want to throw this over to you. Uh, Ali mentioned fatigue as possibly being a factor why these guys are settling for long jump shots and we got a a, a pretty uh, animated response from alvin gentry when he was asked about minutes played this one's going to take a second so bear with me he said if he's tired he tells me he's referring to uh, anthony davis who played 41 minutes against the clippers i would like to play him 28 minutes but that's not feasible if we want an opportunity to win that's just the way it is if i don't play him 41 minutes and we lose by 10 are members of the media going to ask me why he isn't in the game more? I don't understand that. We're a team trying to win games, and we've got to play guys that can help us win games. That is the bottom line. That's it. I don't understand what else you want me to say or do. I wish that we could play all of them less minutes. I wish we could play Drew less minutes. I'm sure Cleveland wishes they could play LeBron less minutes. He's 50 years old, and he's playing more minutes than anybody in this league except for one guy. You take your team, and you look at the personnel that you have and try to put the best personnel on the floor. It's the same thing we did with DeMarcus. If there's any – uh, insinuation that we played him. Sorry, I lost my page. 
that we played to Marcus too many minutes, then so be it. Kevin, uh, not only do I not agree with this take, it, it seemed like he let his emotion get the better of him. What did you think about this when you read uh, Alvin Gentry's comments? You know, I actually actually don't think it's as bad as you guys think it out to be. I understand what he's saying. I mean, if you want to win games, then he has a thin roster, so he has to put those minutes on the ground right now until he gets Kevin, help. Kevin, Kevin, let me stop you a sec. Can you get yourself in a better place? Because you're really breaking apart. We can't hear you very well. Okay. Uh, Is it better Alan, now? Why don't you take this one? Yeah, that does sound better. Okay, there you go. So, I mean, I, I take it a little bit differently than you guys, and I, I'm, you know, one of the biggest street detractors, but I think, you know, I understand where he's coming from. He has a thin roster right now. He's had a thin roster. He hasn't gotten much help uh, from his bench consistently. So, you, if you want to win games and you're making a playoff push, and we've all said this is – you know, the most important season in the Pelicans history, you understand that these guys are going to play heavy minutes to win games. I mean, we're barely beating teams uh, that we should beat with these guys playing those huge minute restrictions. Now you could say maybe if you gave them a break, they'd have more energy at the end. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of a what-if scenario. And I do agree that Ashik was playing in, in this specific game. Ashik was playing pretty well when he was in there, so it would have been nice to see him take a few minutes in, in the, you know, towards the end of the third or right at the start of the fourth to give AD a little bit of a break and get some more wins. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't really, I, I'm not as negative on those comments as you guys are, honestly. Ali, why don't, why don't you take over and give us your take on it? And uh, just, just keep in mind something that uh, Kevin was talking about, about giving Omar Ashik more minutes. At some point, they're going to have to find somebody who can give more than seven minutes per game at that five position. They can't, they can't possibly play Anthony Davis 42 minutes per game for the final 34 minutes of the season. And should we lose Anthony Davis at this point, all of a sudden you're putting into the starting lineup a guy who's you know, going to have been averaging seven minutes per game. He's got to get a larger workload or you have to find outside help. Uh, Ali, what was your immediate response to not only these quotes, but how would, how would you do things differently? Like you, Preston, I dislike them immensely, and I still do. It bothers me. It's it's an excuse that doesn't really make sense. Yes, you've got to play your best players a lot of minutes to win these close games because the Pelicans do not have a good team. But again, that's completely irrelevant when you've got to factor in a couple things. One, a, the guy needs rest. You you cannot continue to play a guy who seems to be either um, kind of, you know, moving more slowly on the court or he's unsure of where he should be. Or, you know, there's just problems within the um, execution of any kind of strategy. Anytime there's any kind of problem like that, you've got to go ahead and take that player out, kind of hit a reset button, and put in somebody else. And what makes it incredulous is the fact of how well the reserves played in that first half uh, with Omer Ashik at center. I mean, the, the flow was incredible. Even Ashik scored, you know, a couple times once on a reverse, I remember distinctly. So the team can utilize more of their bench, and they should. Um, yes, it's very limited, and more times than not, they're probably not going to perform anywhere close to that level. But it's just something you've got to do. Um, I, I feel like if they had gone that route, uh, the Pelicans would have had a better chance of maybe playing a little bit stronger in that final uh, quarter, finishing that stretch off. Um, also, it was interesting, not only about the whole Ashik thing, but then Jameer Nelson, who didn't see any minutes in the first half, he was brought in the third quarter. So Alvin completely switched up the rotations 
um, and what worked in the first half to what, you know, then he went completely off the script in the second half. I just don't understand, and I don't agree with it. Can I uh, okay, jump well, in we... on that? I, I just want oh, – sorry. Were you going to say, Preston? No, go ahead, Kevin. Uh, I was just going to give my take on that game, uh, the, the Clippers game. It's like I'm not going to take too much away from that one. That's the first game after the injury. What I wanted to see is how the team came out. They came out, like, super jacked up. And I think sometimes when you have that incredible burst of of adrenaline and energy and emotion to start a game, it's understandable that it fades quickly, especially when you're playing those minutes and you're playing uh, – you, you know, you're, you're playing that long of a game, that hard part of a game, and you don't have the kind of depth that other teams have. It's going to drain you a little bit. And then also the other thing is, you know, you had to expect them to try to experiment with a bunch of different lineups while they try to figure out what to do going forward. So we saw a lot of that. Unfortunately, Ali and I had both, uh, prior to the uh, game starting, had both tweeted out a lineup that we thought would work and it's the one we closed with, which was um, Drew Holiday at the point, Ian Clark at the two, uh, Moore at the three, Miller at the four, and Davis at the five. And I didn't know the numbers, but Ali had posted the numbers and the, um, going into that game, and they were very positive looking going forward. Now, obviously, that's a small lineup, and I understand why Gentry didn't play it that much in this game when you got um, – Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan, it's hard. You know, you're asking uh, Darius Miller to guard Blake Griffin, and he did. He actually did a pretty good job on him, I thought. Um, but I understand not going to it that much in this game, but I would have liked to have seen it more. And we saw it close, and it looked like it was working. In fact, if Anthony Davis wouldn't have, like, tweaked his groin and fallen down and had that turnover, which kind of made a four-point swing at a point in the game where it was just too late to come back from. I think that would have been a good chance for us to actually win that game if we would have rode that line up a little bit longer. Um, hopefully we see that going forward. But, like, you know, I don't, I don't want to put too much on that game because it was a game they have to experiment. But I think, like, right now, until there are other moves, I would like to see that line up and sort of let Gentry do Gentry things. You know, I mean, he's not my favorite coach. He's not my favorite philosophy. His philosophies aren't my favorite, but – have an AD in the middle surrounded by four shooters that are that can cut, that can hit threes. I think that is something that we should be doing right now. And uh, hopefully that's something that they carry forward, depending on what kind of personnel moves you make in the next couple of days. Ali, I'm in agreement with Kevin, uh, just uh, in terms of how highly we regard this matchup with the Clippers. Obviously, they came out with a lot of fight, a lot of energy, had those same third-quarter woes they've had uh, throughout the course of the season, but but fought back hard, uh, had an opportunity to get close before uh, Blake Griffin's closely contested three-point shot uh, at the end of the game kind of sealed the deal, and then it was just foul shots from there. Uh, how how important or how significant do you think this game was in terms that the, the Clippers are just two games behind the Pelicans, uh, how, how significant did you, did you take the, the overall aspect of the game following the DeMarcus Cousins injury, as well as the, the, closely, uh, the closely fought battle the Pelicans are experiencing between teams five through nine in the standings right now? I think it's very big, Preston, because every game here on out obviously matters, but especially against a direct competitor for one of the eight playoff spots when, like I said, there's nine teams going for them. Uh, you've got to keep those teams at bay and, if necessary, try and own the tiebreakers. 
Now they're one and one against the Clippers this season. It could have been two and no, two and no, and looking a whole lot better instead of uh, being up four games now on uh, the Clippers. It's only two, so it's a it's a huge deal. And I hear what you guys are saying about it being one game and Alvin Gentry needing to experiment and all that. But again, I just don't understand. I keep harping on. It. I don't understand why you deviate from a plan that worked in the first half. I I, I just won't understand it. He obviously has to experiment with his options going forward, but why within one game did, did it change? Why, why did so many things change? So anyways, we got to move on from that part. Um, Cause I'm sure we can talk about the rest of the day, but also Preston to answer, uh, you know, more along the lines, moving forward, the Pelicans have an easier schedule to finish off uh, or to get to the all-star break. And the Clippers are one of the toughest uh, matchups. So you would have liked to have seen that this team that still has two all-star caliber players, beat a team that is, you know, kind of average. Sure, they've got Blake Griffin's back, but they're still missing Dinal Gallinari, uh, Patrick Beverly, uh, maybe even a few other players. So you would like to see them be able to be a team like that at home when they were honestly up by 21 points. I mean, it's disturbing that, although they don't have DeMarcus, losing a 21-point lead again, um, it, it's it's just, you know, it, it's a scary thought. You really just, it's a, such a Jekyll and Hyde Thing with this team and uh, they just they've got to figure out a way to stop and stem these type of collapses these third quarter collapses wow they're just killing us guys we, we got to find a way to somehow beat them Kevin continuity is something that Jamel McMillan preached on our podcast it's something everybody in the association uh, values very uh, reveres in fact uh, and I even asked Mason Ginsburg on the podcast back in the in the summer I said uh, the Spurs, when, you know, they, they won a title probably, uh, I want to say, around 2014 uh, against the Heat, whatever the year was. I don't have my notes in front of me. You know, you've got Tony Parker, who's an all-star level player. If you have the opportunity to put Chris um, Paul in his shoes, do you do it? And he says no, because you value continuity. And, and this is obviously a different sense. You know, you've got a, an upgrade potentially in Greg Monroe or, or Andrew Bogut over Omar Ashik. But just with 34 games left, how big of a transition do you do you want to go for like a, a three man trade? Do you want to just bring in buyout players, just one or two guys? How significant do you think this roster is going to be overhauled in the next two weeks, Kevin? I mean, I think you can, you're looking at probably three new players coming in. I think you probably get two via trade and then one via the buyout if everything can fall right for Dell. You know, I think he's going to try to. He's going to probably try to get out of the Omarasha contract. Uh, definitely try to get out of that Agenda one, which is uh, much easier to get out of. Um, and then, you know, give your, bring in some guys with lesser salaries. That gives you some space of, uh, below the hard cap and then give you a, an opportunity to buy, get some buyout guys. Um, you know, like I, I, I see people talk about trading for Greg Monroe, but I don't, I would never do that because I, Greg Monroe is definitely getting bought out. And also his fit doesn't really fit what Gentry wants to do. Now he's a good player. So at worst, if you, if you comes in as a buyout candidate, I'm all for that because, you know, I mean, obviously he's an upgrade over Omar Ashik and you can play a different style when you have AD out and you have Monroe in. Um, and he can do different things, but he's not like a gentry center, you know. Um, so there's, you know, there, there's that aspect, but still you, there's going to be a lot of adjustment. But I, I think you get two guys via trade and you get one on the buyout market. And, you know, there might be some guards and wings that are bought out as well. You know, I mean, Joe Johnson could potentially be bought out. 
he's not traded. Uh, you know, Avery Bradley's on the trade market right now. If he, if he could possibly, you know, I mean, I think a team's going to trade for him that plans on using him. But if not, it could be one of those uh, salary moves, uh, you know, drastic moves, and then, uh, you know, cut uh, a buyout, and then he might be available, you know, somebody like that. Although I don't really think Bradley's going to be available in the buyout market. Um, but we'll see. There's going to be some interesting guys out there, I think, because a lot of people are going to start looking to shed some of those contracts. Uh, Ali, I'm all over the place. So let's go ahead and dive on into mailbag questions, talk uh, <laughs> roster overhaul, trades, uh, buyout candidates, that sort of stuff. We've got a question from Tejeda. With the current roster we have right now, what is or are the biggest tactical changes needed to be made? Uh, obviously, they've got 10 games left. They're probably going to want to experiment by playing the next three or four games with the lineup as is, see how the team does before they take a big swing. And in all likelihood, most trades are going to happen uh, in or around the deadline on February 8th, possibly a day or two before. How how big of an overhaul do you think the Pelicans need at this point? What would you be willing to give? What would you be willing to sacrifice in order to potentially get this team? I don't I don't I don't know what how high do you think the upside would be at this point? Just just staying in around the seventh or eighth seed, or do you think there is a move out there big enough to to keep the Pelicans in a five or a fifth seed position? I think, Preston, the biggest thing moving forward for the front office is they just need to bring in bodies. Um, the Pelicans simply do not have enough. Supposedly, Solomon Hill is going to be coming back sometime right after maybe the All-Star break. I've heard that's kind of the goal. And we we still know what's going on with Tony Allen. So right now, it seems like the team is running, honestly, seven-man, you know, seven eight-man type of lineups. And that's including um, your, your pick of Ashik, Nelson, Clark, and Liggins. So... They, they just simply need to bring in more bodies, um, and I think that they can and should be able to do that, but they shouldn't, uh, you know, look to spend, you know, a lot of assets to get there because, as you mentioned, uh, there, there's limitations going forward with this team, and it's all salary cap concerns. It all revolves around with what are they going to do with DeMarcus Cousins and resign him. I think they are, so if they do that, with AD and Drew already getting paid a lot, a lot of money, there's not that much room to take on another fourth, um, say, an Avery Bradley, that Kemba Walker type of player where <coughs> they're going to need to resign them too. And suddenly you've got four guys making at or near close to a maximum money. And suddenly you can't build out the rest, fill out the rest of your roster. So I just think that's, that's a scary way to approach this, to uh, try and plug any kind of holes with any big name players that are, or are going to demand a lot of money in like say a year's time or up in this upcoming free agency. So I would like them to be a lot more smarter. And that's why I've always advocated for the Damari Carroll's, um, you know, the Joe Johnson's, Justin holidays, role players, you know, productive role players. And I think that's their best bet because they need help across this roster. I say another guard, a wing and a big would be ideal. Um, and you don't want to spend too much on one, any one of these guys alone. So They've just got to go and hit that secondary market hard, try and get involved as a third or a fourth team and pick up those lesser options like the Quincy Pondexter, Norris Cole, we've mentioned on previous podcasts, that type of deal from uh, three years ago that really made a difference for the Pelicans uh, stretch run to get in that postseason in 14-15. So that's what I would like to see. And uh, it seems like that's what I've heard is happening. Uh, the Pelicans behind the scenes have poked around on Damari Carroll. So I'm assuming any of the other sellers, um, like, for instance, Utah, that is, you know, willingly uh, open to move to, uh, Ricky Rubio, Rodney Hood, Derek Favors. I'm hoping the Pelicans are kicking the tires on all these type of players 
and just gauging on how much it would cost to bring them in because we can't have them spend too much. That's just my thing going forward. Kevin, um, in regards to, to all these deals that Ali's proposing, we're, we're in the eighth season of uh, Dell Demp's tenure as general manager, and he's, he's had a lot of unlucky breaks, including the 352 games lost to injuries three years ago, uh, the first 12 games of the season missed by Drew Holiday, where the Pelicans started 0-8, and now, of course, this uh, monumental injury to DeMarcus Cousins. But with that being said, how much flexibility do you give him at this trade deadline? Uh, like Ollie said, he's going to have to give up future assets, whether they be uh, first-round picks, second-round picks. It's, it's going to take a lot to up, offload these salaries. Do you still give Dell Demps the benefit of the doubt at this point and allow him the freedom to do those things? Or, or do you handcuff him and just uh, see how the Pels do? And once the offseason comes, if they get into the sixth seed or produce well in the playoffs in whatever capacity, you give them another year. Otherwise, you just bring in outside help. Uh, Kevin, what would you do at this point if you were Mickey Loomis? I mean, that's also that they have to decide. They have to decide right now if Dell is their guy going forward. And for me, I don't have a problem with Dell being their guy going forward. I, I think he's got a lot of bad breaks that it's been too problems were the Asha contract and for me hiring Alvin Gentry. But, you know, Alvin Gentry, you can debate that. No problem. Nobody can really debate that Asha wasn't a, a good deal, but every general manager has bad mis- mistakes. And, and, you know, that one is it to me so terrible. Um, and he's brought in a lot of good players to this team. We see him thriving in other places that didn't work out here due to injuries things like that, um, you can't really blame a guy for that. Um, and, you know, he did land us the second superstar. So, for me, I'm, I give Dell the freedom to do what he needs to do to, to fix this team. And, um, you know, as far as deals go, you know, dealing a first-round pick, you know, I know everybody's tired of us dealing our first-round pick, but, you know, if you look right now, with as much wins as we have in the bank already, and then you have Drew Holiday and you're playing out of his mind, and you have Anthony Davis, and you have Etwan Moore being a, a very efficient scorer, and Darius Miller giving you some some shooting from the outside, it's it's very unlikely that that draft pick is going to fall into the very the, the very valuable area, you know, and it's never going to be more valuable because people might think that we're going to drop out of the playoffs. So I think now is the time to, to trade that, but I only trade that to either get rid of Omer Oshik's contract or to bring a guy that's still young, still on a, a rookie deal, still have, you have some control over, but that can contribute. You know, you look at like, say for instance, the Lakers are trying to move on from all of their, um, all of their multi-year deals so they can make a run at Paul George or LeBron James. If you could get like a Larry Nance and maybe even a Jordan Clarkson or I wouldn't necessarily go Jordan Clarkson route, but if you were getting up, giving up some other salary and got him, but you know, like a Larry Nance or the Kings are trying to get rid of uh, Scal, you make a move like that. It's fine. Rodney Hood, I would give it, even though he's on the last year of this deal, you still have a, a little bit of control on that contract. So those are the kind of guys I would use the first round pick for or to dump Omar and get, you know, another player that's serviceable that makes less money. Um, So I think, you know, I I think you kind of have to trust Bell because you really have no other option. I mean, what are you going to do? Just let this season waste away and then you you have all this uncertainty going into you don't know what Cousins is going to be. You don't know how he's going to react to having a new GM to deal with. You don't know. 
who's going to be making these choices in the future. So it's just too much up in the air. I think you need that continuity, like you said, is important right now. And really, if you if you remove the bad luck out of Dell's resume, it's not that bad. It's it's not a he hasn't been a bad GM. So I think he deserves that chance. I mean, he got us to this point, and we saw what could have been the future had this the other injury didn't happen. Um, so I, I think I, I roll with Dell and uh, keep going forward. Uh, first of all, Ali, would you give the same res- uh, response in terms of Dell's future going forward? Yeah, David wrote for us uh, last night a good article um, talking about exactly this scenario where the uh, or the excuse me ownership needs to make a decision on Dell now because he can't have his job security be on the line or any kind of a um, you know extenuating circumstance in any of his decisions. So you've got to decide now whether you're going to keep Dell or not, and therefore it will give him the power or remove it if need be uh, from him making any kind of deals um, before this trade deadline hits. I think that um, I'm with Kevin. Dead honestly, I, this team needs to go ahead and keep him. I think that what's work, or you know, we have kind of started in an identity. I know it's kind of uh, hard to say about talk about do it big now because we have no idea what's going to happen with Demarcus Cousins. But we legitimately saw a strategy that worked. We have beaten, uh, you know, three of the four top teams in the NBA, and I'm sorry, I'm including the Cavaliers because I think they will be there at the end. So Pelicans beat. Boston Celtics, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and the Houston Rockets, and three times they almost beat the Golden State Warriors. I feel like they have stumbled upon something that could work. So you've got to give some credit to the front office and everybody else involved with uh, bringing this all together. Uh, The the right coaches were hired to maximize uh, this type of uh, big ball, but in a fast pace. Uh, The Chris Finch hiring looks like, you know, a genius move at this point. Uh, regardless of what happens our season, because we saw when the pieces were on the court and, you know, Solomon Hill wasn't even out there, uh, how well they performed and things were really starting to come together. So I think Kevin's right. You've got to kind of ride this one out, uh, especially when you look at the overall goal, goal pressing. And that is you've got to appease Anthony Davis. He is the superstar. They cannot lose in a couple years time or even earlier if he demands a trade. So you can't just sit on your hands right now and say, sorry, Anthony, we shot our wad this season and uh, DeMarcus Cousins went down. Sorry, but, you know, the rest of the season, you guys just got to, you know, try and win with what you've got out there. No, they can't do that. They can't take that approach. They've got to keep trying to push uh, for this playoffs this season and beyond. So I think the best way to do that is to continue with what has worked. Uh, you can't change strategies mid-season, so you've got to kind of just bring in pieces that will fit what is currently there in the structure. And the best way to do it is just keep Dell Demps there, give him that job security so he can go ahead and do his job in this, uh, what is it, 10 days before the trade deadline to find some uh, really much-needed help. Kevin, I'm going to go back to Ali just because I know how passionate he is, and I think I might rile him up a little bit. Oh, uh, give us Give us your unbiased opinion, completely unbiased. Uh, let's say you're not a New Orleans Pelicans fan. You're just a national media critic, just surveying the landscape of the NBA. And you see a team like the New Orleans Pelicans, who at this point, I, I think most prognosticators would say they, they fall out of the playoffs or they, they stay for their season with an eighth seed, a 42-40 and 40 finish. They get swept 0-4 in the first round, maybe take a game off the Golden State Warriors. That's, but that's the best that they can probably hope to do at this point. With that in mind, going into the offseason, the uncertainty of DeMarcus Cousins' health going forward, 
does, does it ever cross your mind as an unbiased partisan that this is a prime opportunity to trade Anthony Davis for some mixture of Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, three first-round picks, offload DeMarcus Cousins' contract for cap relief or, I don't know, some kind of contributor going forward? Are, are we all just blind to the fact in New Orleans right now that this is all falling apart in front of our eyes and, and we're, just, we're just not seeing it as everybody outside of New Orleans seems to be seeing it? Or do you still believe in a potential scenario where DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis can reunite, they can find those missing two pieces that Kevin was talking about finding and put it all together before uh, Anthony Davis' contract expires in two years? <laughs> oh, man. Boston's going to hate me, but they, they can keep their Tatum, all that garbage, and I don't care. But that is not the national take, Preston. We both know that. It's just coming from a few outlets that try and rile everybody up. Um, even worse than, like, say, Bill Simmons. I don't pay any heed. Nobody should pay any attention to any of that. I don't think anybody's blind, first of all. Um, Anthony Davis is one of the best players in the league, hands down. The chances that you will be able to recoup anything uh, remotely similar to his talent in just one player is, you know, almost close to nil. It never happens, Preston. I don't believe in this Jason Tatum uh, is going to become some kind of one of the top 10 players in the NBA and anybody else in that package that would get back. Not a chance. Just ridiculous talk. Um, as far as uh, God, now I'm forgetting the second part of everything you said, because you talked for a while there. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry. What else, what else did you add to that? Uh, just like, is, is, is this the time to blow it up? I guess right now the Pelicans, if you look across the roster, you've got Drew Holiday and you've got Anthony Davis. And oh, then right, I, right. I, I, I think we can argue that the, the other pieces are, are not pivotal to any team going forward. You can make an argument that Etwan Moore and Darius Miller are, are rotational pieces on a contender. But, but at this point in time with the salary cap and the situation that it is in New Orleans, there are people like Nate Duncan and Danny LaRue and Kevin Pelton and Kevin O'Connor out there who think it's better to offload one very valuable piece and get six potentially valuable pieces in the future. What is, what is your counter argument to that? Yeah, no, I don't believe in that one, one bit, as I've been alluding to with a lot of my answers already today. Two hands, or, you know, the Marcus Cousins, we're not sure of, okay? So let's talk about that real quick. Whether AD and the DeMarcus thing can still be part of the future, nobody knows. So it is definitely smart to have a backup plan. I don't think that they should go ahead and toss DeMarcus aside. I think uh, we've all been talking about behind the scenes on what kind of contract they should structure uh, and propose to him in the upcoming free agency. And that is something that's a little bit more short term. You don't throw out max money without, um, you know, just basically putting a lot of performance incentives into his contract because you can't be, you can't, you can't cripple, um, handicap the roster in any way, shape, or form by an underperforming boogie. You've got to take preventive measures against that because at the end of the day, as we've been mentioning, Anthony Davis is still the number one player in this town, and he's the one that they've got to retain and appease at all costs. As far as flipping any one of these great assets, I just don't believe it. That We're in a win-now mode. The team has struggled and disappointed for two straight seasons, and to ask fans to go ahead and, you know, sit back, you know, put your feet up and let's go through another season or two of this, or pro probably even longer if we're talking moving Anthony Davis or even Boogie, not bringing him back, uh, would be a lot longer. New Orleans has not been a prime destination for free agents. 
Dell Demps has not been able to trade for any of these great guys. And on top of that, we've had these injury issues or something that's always held them back. So when you add it all up, their best bet is to go with what they've got because we've seen it work. Um, and pushing a reset button might even spell the end of uh, basketball in New Orleans. Fans already have a difficult time supporting this team. You see it on a nightly basis almost with the attendance rates and with the local media, how much attention they pay to it. So I think just going in the other direction uh, is it, just not possible. And people have got to understand, you've got to factor in the ownership that is currently um, in charge. And they have always, since Tom Benson bought the team, they have always maintained a win-now mentality. So to even ponder or consider anything else is ridiculous. You know, it's a waste of your time. It's great to speculate about, but to talk seriously about it when they've never once exhibited on taking any type of long-term approach like, say, Philadelphia did with the process is, is just really a waste of time. So, no, Preston, long-winded answer. They've got to keep Anthony Davis. They've got to keep building around what they've got. Drew Holiday looks impressive. If DeMarcus Cousins, his um, rehab starts looking good, uh, luckily the Pelicans have about five months before they have to sit down at the negotiating table with his people. Uh, if everything's looking good, they'll, they'll, they should have a good answer and a good idea of whether they want to bring him back, and if so, at what kind of money. So there's still time to save what they've started building, which I think is the best identity we've honestly seen in some time in this town. All right, Kevin. With that being said, we've got a question from Adam Cubido, and it's what's the most bizarre, horrendous joke of a trade scenario you've seen so far? I mean, I kind of touched on it earlier. I think the trade for Greg Monroe is the worst one because it's guaranteed that he's going to be a buyout candidate. And, uh, you know, he doesn't really fit Gentry's system as a short-term buyout fix. Sure, it's great because he probably would love to come home and play in his hometown and play with these guys here. Um, so you have that advantage going in the buyout market. So I would never make that move. Um, I think that's the worst one I've seen. I, don't, I haven't seen too many, like, terrible ones that would have us take it on a ton of uh, salary or anything like that. So, I mean, to me, you know, getting a guy that's making, giving up any kind of asset for a guy that's making $17 billion when you can just get him on a, on a cheap deal on a buyout is a waste to me. David Aldridge had a really bad, David Aldridge had a really bad one this morning. Guys, did you see it where he proposed the Hawks trade Marco Bellinelli to us for Darius Miller, Jameer, Nelson, Sheck Dial in a 2022nd round pick. Are you kidding me? I mean, that move yeah. makes no sense. I hate Mar- Marco Bellinelli. You know that. Can I just say something about about the uh, the question you asked, Ollie? I think the only time we've ever seen like a superstar get traded for parts and pieces where it sort of worked for the team that got the parts and pieces was when Carmelo got traded to New York and Denver played pretty well with the pieces that they had for a while and Carmelo and the Knicks that never really did anything. I mean, I think we're seeing uh, what's happened with the Cavs. They traded Kyrie Irving. They get these pieces, you know, that and now they're in, they're, you know, they're in fighting. They're not getting along. The guy that came over is causing problems in the locker room with Kevin Love. I just think that that Anthony Davis, to me, is the best athlete to ever play in this city. And I know that's saying a lot because a lot of people have such a high respect for Drew Brees and thinks he's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, which is surely true. But to me, Anthony Davis is better at basketball than Drew Brees is at football. And that's not a diminish to Drew Brees. It's just how good Anthony Davis is. 
And I think, you know, he could potentially be, you know, a top seven, top 10 player in the history of the NBA. If his career goes right in his prime, he has that kind of skill. He could do everything on the court. He can play defense when he, you know, when he needs to. I mean, he's obviously not taking breaks a little bit this year because of the minute load, which is understandable. But we've seen him be a complete dominant defensive force. And offensively, he can pretty much do anything. Um, so I think it's just would be insane to trade um, him for anything. And even like that Tatum and uh, Brown trade, those guys look fine. Tatum's probably going to be a really good player for a long time. But they're never going to be that kind of player. And those guys look better because of the system they're in and because they have a guy like Kyrie Irving that breaks down defenses and then creates for them. So, um, I, you know, there's no way you trade uh, Davis for anything you, unless he makes you do it. Yeah, that's exactly my sentiment, uh, what I said on NBA Outlet and also on Howland Dashes. Under no circumstance can you trade uh, Anthony Davis unless, like you said, he requested to up Dell Demps. But, you know, I have to propose the counter-argument to you guys. Um, let's, we'll continue with some questions from Annie Coyer and Patrick Shaheen in a moment. But uh, in typical fashion today, I'm bouncing all over the place. I want to go back to Ali and ask him just how important is this matchup tomorrow night with the Sacramento Kings? Uh, I'm not going to say must win because we seem to use that often and not just us, other people. But look, they've they've got to uh, come out, play as hard as they can for as long as they can for 48 minutes and beat an inferior team. That's the bottom line. They are, they've got to put together, if they're serious about making that postseason push, maintaining their um, standings within this playoff picture, they have got to go ahead and beat the Kings and not just buy a point or two at the end of the game. They've got to go ahead and convincingly beat them, get hopefully Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday and any of their other key guys like each one more, a little bit of rest. So you just want to see them come out and put their foot down and not come out in that third quarter suffocating, whatever whatever goes wrong with them. Uh, they've just got to overcome that. They've just got to come out firing on all cylinders. So, Press, we're not calling it a must win, but it is a must win. <laughs> and, and, Kevin, this is going to have big ramifications with the, with the trade market incoming. I think uh, we're about 10 days out. February 8th is the deadline. Uh, the better the Pelicans perform right now, you'd have to think the, the more leeway that Dell Demps might have from Mickey Loomis. Uh, do you think this is an important matchup with the Sacramento Kings tomorrow? Uh, oh, definitely. I mean, you're looking at a Sacramento team that is calling it on the season. You know, they're like trying to trade George Hill. They're start, they're trying to trade some of their first round picks. Uh, you know, guys that were first round picks to get uh, other pieces to try to rebuild and reshape that roster. They're not. This season is not important to them right now. It's more about experimenting, getting off a of bad contract. Um, moving on and developing. So this is a team that you have to beat. Um, and, you know, they beat us here when when we were we were definitely the superior team, but that was back when they were still trying to win games. So we, we owe them one, and you definitely need to beat them now when they're, when they're not trying to win games. They're trying to experiment, trying to give young, experienced guys minutes and playing with rotations to see what guys fit and what guys they need to ship out to get other parts. So, yeah, it's definitely – a game you have to win, and then also you don't want that negativity to start seeping into these guys' heads. You know, they had a 21-point lead that they blew uh, last night. Now if they lose to a team like this, you know, then doubt's going to start creeping in, and then our effort level's going to drop. Is intensity going to drop? And then, like you said, it affects Dell's uh, 
leeway in future too, perhaps. But I, I think they're married to Dill. I don't think he's going anywhere. So I think he'll still have the green light to, to make whatever moves he needs to be made, which is the right thing to do anyway. All right, Ali, we've got some potential buyout candidates, like, as we mentioned, Greg Monroe, Vince Carter, maybe Joaquin Noah, who was in the news today for an all-out screaming match with Jeff Hornacek. Uh, they're in the process of trying to trade him, but he does have, I think, two years and $36 million left on his contract. So no team is going to want to acquire him, but should he be bought out at, I don't know, say 70% of that, uh, maybe the Pelicans give them a look. In addition, Andy Coyer and Patrick Shaheen ask about Justin uh, Holiday, Jerry and Grant, Alfred Payton, Jonathan Simmons, uh, Nerlens Noel, Rodney Hood. Uh, who do you have your eye on? Who are you sweet on right now, Ollie? Well, my my prime two would be, as I mentioned, a trade piece not that long ago, is Joe Johnson, who's on an expiring deal, great veteran, who can play the 3-4, provide a lot of veteran leadership, and fit in seamlessly with the, with, uh, the Pelicans are trying to do, and that's to keep the floor spread for their guards to penetrate and Anthony Davis' room to operate. And uh, so Joe Johnson sits at the top. Um, It shouldn't take that much to acquire him. And then, you know, some kind of other smaller pieces, like I've always referred to Justin Holiday. I think that would be great. Uh, I think this team has honestly got a great locker room and a chemistry. So you just want to kind of bring in people that you know are not going to disrupt that. Um, And and they're going to know their role coming in. Um, I like Kevin's ideas. He's tossed in a bunch. Two great people he wrote up a couple days ago. And you're right. I would love to see maybe a Jonathan Simmons. Um, but, again, I think he's probably going to be out of our price range. Um, Rodney Hood, almost the same thing. Plus, he is looking at probably a sizable uh, contract or a new contract coming up this free agency. So, I'm a little bit more weary of those type of guys because the Pelicans don't want to be competing for, you know, as I said, um, in trading away assets or, or then uh, paying these players a lot more money in future seasons. So it, it's those expirings. And I agree with you, Preston, anybody that gets bought out, the Pelicans have got to try and make a deal where they free up some, uh, not only cap space, but roster space. I know that after uh, the Marcus cousins injury, they're going to probably be granted um, an additional roster spot with that injury exception, uh, like they were with Alexia Jensa. But um, other than that, I would love to see them, you know, do a two for one, even a three for one, if that could somehow be done. And that way they could go ahead and pick up an Andrew Bogut um, or uh, say the Phoenix Suns go ahead and uh, wave um, Greg Monroe, somebody like that. That would be incredibly awesome. (laughs) Okay, the Pelicans can't get a disabled player exception at this point because we're past the January 15th deadline. Uh, But with that being said, I I do really like your idea of offloading more players on our end. That, sorry, go in there, Al. You got something? Yeah, no, no, I'm not talking about the disabled player exception where they're also given, uh, you know, money to sign somebody else. It's just the player exception, injury exception, where they have a right to replace, you know, somebody that's done for the season, basically. Got it. I forget um, what Kevin. Exactly who, called. Sorry, yeah, I forget what's exactly called right now. Uh, Kevin, talk about your articles. You've got a, a three-parter. Uh, I think it's called. Uh, trades and in a, in a time of insomnia or something. You've got some great ideas in there. What are some of your three favorite trades that you came up with in that article? Well, I actually wrote that article prior to the uh, Cousins injury. I, I finished it the morning, oh, wow. though, <laughs> weirdly. Um, so we just, we just posted it as it was without changing. And I still think a lot of those – I mean, I think every one of those trades still works considering uh, the landscape we're in. Um, and, uh, so I can't, uh, sorry, I got interrupted by a guy trying to 
bum a dollar off of me. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so where was I? Oh yeah. So I think all of those trades still work considering what we're doing. And I think the goal should be to get one long-term piece and then two guys that are short, short term that maybe one of them could also be a long-term piece in the right situation. And, you know, I, I love Rodney Hood, and I think if there's a way to get him, I think you get him and then you roll the dice on be able to maybe move Omarashik after the draft next year when you can then trade the other first-round pick and have some more space to sign both he and Cousins. Because I think Rodney Hood is, to me, he, he has the potential to be a Clay Thompson kind of player. He has the same similar kind of size. He's a really good shooter. He's a good facilitator. He's long. He's a good defender. He can distribute the ball. He can play two of the three positions for you, uh, which is important for a team like the Pelicans who do have uh, depth concerns and injury issues um, seemingly every year. Um, but also another thing in terms of marketing and building the fan base of this team, we now have DeMarcus Cousins, who's from Mobile, Alabama, which is very nearby, and then Rodney Hood is from Meridian, Mississippi. Bring him, you regionalize the team a little bit more, also. Um, so I think a, a marketing, you know, from a marketing angle, that trade also makes sense. But I understand, you know, he's probably going to want a kind of, you know, a bigger contract. So you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to figure out ways to have flexible money. Um, I love Kylo Quinn's another guy I like. If you can pry him away from the net, you know. He's on like a, under a five million dollar deal. It's like right around four million a year. I'm sorry, like I'm on my phone, so I don't have uh, my article in front of me or whatever to look at. Um, in where I have like all the salaries and stuff, but I feel like he does a lot of what Boogie does. He's a good playmaker out of the post. He's a good rebounder. He's a good shot blocker. He's a big personality. Um, he also has a very good mid range jumper and has stretch it out a little bit to the three-point line, although, you know, that's not really something that I want so much for my big man. But I think, you know, he sets good screens, which is something we don't have really right now outside of Omar Ashik. So that would help. But then, like, smaller moves, like if you can get in on a three-way deal somehow and shift some salary and absorb, say, like a Ed Davis coming out of Portland if they make a run at uh, Miritich or something like that. He's, Ed Davis is a guy I always liked who also – Rebounds well, is very efficient underneath the basket. Um, and then uh, who else is on there? Uh, you know, I love Jonathan Simmons as well. And just like, I think one of the funniest titles of the trade that I had was the, were the last two people at the bar. So why not kind of thing? Like when there's no more trades left to be made and nobody's trying to wheel and deal. But you look at a team like Orlando who has worry Spates, who they're not really, don't really need. And what they're trying to do over there, you could just send them Jameer Nelson. The salaries match up. Jameer can go out go out as a magic a member of the magic. And then you have a guy that can stretch the floor as a big set screens, play defense. That's like a short term fix that doesn't cost any assets. But I also like the idea of getting a guy like um, Justin Holiday as well because he has a two year, four million dollar a year contract, and that's, that's you know you're getting good service out of a guy on a good contract. So I think there's a lot of players on that list i would do any of those deals really um there's some like kind of far-fetched ones obviously like i think the i I think that kevin love trade situation that i have there is pretty interesting one that could work for all those teams but it's obviously not probably not going to happen just because it's too big of a thing um but it seems to work for everybody where love goes to utah who also has trouble getting um 
free agents over there, but he would fit in well with that core. And then uh, Miritich, Miritich Hood and Joe Johnson go to the Cavs. And then we, I think we got Justin Holiday in that one. Um, and I think maybe, I'm trying to remember who else we got. Oh, I think that we get Ekpe Udu. I don't know. I don't have my, uh, my thing in front of me. But yeah, I think, you know, if you get a chance to look at that, there's some fun things to ponder on that, on that list. All right. Well, this is going to wrap it up. We're right at the hour uh, threshold. And I want to apologize again for not only the quality, but for the unpreparedness that I brought to this podcast. Uh, that won't be something going forward. I will have my computer back for the next podcast. Uh, this is the birdrights.com. Uh, by the way, this is the, the podcast that's tied to them and our editor-in-chief, Ali Costell, Kevin Barrios, and all right on that website. So make sure you check that out. Follow us on the Twitter. And for now, I just want to uh, give a shout out to Ali. Ali, uh, this is our third podcast back. So good to have you back, man. Uh, any parting shots before we let you go? Yeah, I, I, I remember what I was trying to say earlier regarding the injury and how the Pelicans are going to get something. It's a hardship exception, Preston, where after they had those four previous injuries, those long-term ones, that included Alexia Jansa, Solomon Hill, and the like, where they signed DeAndre Liggins. It's a hard set, hardship exception, which will kick in once uh, Boogie misses, say, three games or so. And then they'll be able to go ahead and add another guy as long as they stand underneath um, the hard cap, which I think they're about $1.2 million away. So they can go ahead and sign somebody like an Andrew Bogut at the minimum for the rest of the season. Um, even though that technically they're full uh, with the roster space, they will be able to bring it in on a hardship exception. Keep repeating that phrase because that's what it is, and that's going to be something Dell Demps utilizes, I'm sure. Excellent. And Kevin, anything from you, sir? Um, yeah, not, not really. I think uh, I mentioned the, the last pod about that uh, human design chart thing. I think I'm going to force my partner at season tickets, Travis, to sit down with me and go over that because I think it's just kind of an interesting look at the roster or potential roster pieces and how their astrology charts lined up and what they're best at, even though I don't really believe in that stuff. It's just kind of a fun little exercise. So I think I'm going to try to knock that out in the next couple of days, maybe. All right, you guys, remember to follow them at Ali Costell, at Kevin B for Bounce. I'm Preston Ellis. You can follow me at Preston Ellis. Thanks for listening. If you guys like what you're hearing, of course, as always, retweet, share, subscribe, rate our podcast. We appreciate your help so much and everything you're doing. It, uh, I, I do want to say this in closing. Uh, as down as we are right now uh, in terms of the boogie and what we're going to do approaching the trade deadline, what the team is actually capable of, I do want to encourage everybody to keep showing up for your Pelicans. This this game is important. They're going to need the, the crowd's enthusiasm behind this one, but they're going to need the energy from the city of New Orleans. We see what New Orleans does for the New Orleans Saints. Try to give some of that level of energy to this team because this team still has a bright future. There still is that glimmer of hope in the body of DeMarcus Cousins. Even if he comes back at 80%, you saw how beautiful his game matches with Anthony Davis. And there are, there are teams and players around the association taking notice. Guys like LeBron James, who was rumored to be interested in coming to New Orleans and playing with DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis. My God, could we have ever seen a scenario like that, even just this past offseason? So everybody, hang on to your hope. Uh, you know, uh, what's, what's the quote? The, the night is darkest before the dawn, something like that. Just, <laughs> just stay thirsty for Pelicans news. Uh, stay, stay thirsty for what Anthony Davis can accomplish. This guy is only getting better. Remember, he's 25 years old. So let's not get, get lost in the dumps. Let's keep positive. And, hey, let's go Pels. Dilly, dilly. Try to find- you have been listening to The Bird Calls. Thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, do us one more favor. Go to iTunes, subscribe, and rate our podcast today.
Who am I and how am I feeling? I'm Clive Owen and I'm great, thanks. What if businesses could really understand how their customers feel, act on it and make them feel better? It's a thing. It's SAP Experience Management. For more, go to sap.com XM. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids' and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance.